0: The Good Reading Podcast is brought to you by Luxury Read, the monthly book subscription that pairs a new release book with a pampering gift delivered to your door. There are new books every month and nine genres to choose from. Why not spoil yourself or give the gift of a Luxury Read subscription today? Visit luxury.com.au to find out how.
1: A man and a woman, or what was left of them, were right beside where Tori had been lying. Their bodies hacked and mutilated, the bed soaked with their blood and entrails. The woman, naked, was face down in the middle of the mattress. Her legs spread, rivers of red oozing out of her body and pooling at her sides, her skull cleaved by a hatchet, her brown hair caked in blood. Razor blades, 20 or so, stuck out of her back as if a crazed ninja had been flinging shuriken, throwing stars at her. The hatchet, with its half-moon blade, was familiar. A traditional Greenlander's ulu, like the one Prime Minister Peterson always carried on her belt, and which Tory saw her use daily to cut fruit, slice bread, and even once to shock some sense into China's delegation. The killer had posed the man on the far side of the bed in a sickening bondage tableau. A sheet was draped over his lower half, drenched in red up to his chest, and a studded black fetish hood obscured his face. His arms were hitched above his head, his lats thick and taut and slathered in blood, his wrists bound to the bedhead with yellow plastic cable ties. Who were these people? Why were they in her room, in her bed? What monster had done this to them, to her, and why? Where was he, looking under the bed in the walk-in closet? She grabbed the lamp from the sideboard and in a single move yanked its cord out of the wall and raised it shoulder high, ready to swing it. She got up, lamp still held high, and jerked open the door to the walk-in row, ready to attack. The closet was empty. Whoever he was,
0: he'd left. Hello and welcome to the Good Reading Podcast. After 30 years of professional life as an investment banker, lawyer, business writer, and commentator, and director of a publishing house, John M. Green put all that aside to take up writing international thrillers. He's the author of Born to Run nowhere man and the tory swift series including the trusted and the tower deception today i'm talking to john m green about his latest book double deal it's the third installment in the tory swift series and it's published by pantera press john welcome to the good reading podcast good day great to be here the first thing we have to talk about is tory swift tell us about the tory swift of your imagination
1: Tori is a 27-year-old sassy whiz kid who grew up uh, without a mother and a father who adored her, who was a surfing champion, so that she became world champion surfer at 13 for a junior surfer. She grew up on Sydney's northern beaches, but given her mother was American, she has dual citizenship as a result of which she ended up working for several years at the CIA. She left in disgrace, as usually happens in thrillers and crime novels, and now she is the lead negotiator for Greenland in doing a deal with China, where China wants to control the
0: Arctic. And she seems to have transformed into some kind of, well, full-on action hero. Did you always intend her to be so, or did her character develop through the action as you wrote? A bit of both, actually.
1: Um, what I wanted was uh, a thriller series where the hero was a woman. You know, we've got all the James Bonds and the Tom Cruises in Mission Impossibles There almost always men. And what I tried to construct was a woman who would do all of the things that they could do, but better. And Tori Swift came out of that.
0: She seems to be uh, this new breed of intelligence operative, if I can call her that. She's got integrity, a sensitive side as well, and she has a distinctive style about her. I noticed that you never actually, well, at least not in this book, refer to her physical appearance very much?
1: No, I, I do that probably unintentionally, maybe because I know her so well. I think the only features I talk about are her flaming red hair and stunning green eyes. I kind of wanted to get away from the stereotype, I think, of describing women in ways that a lot of women would find uncomfortable.
0: And there's also a a bevy of characters that are either with her or against her, including her trusty sidekick, Frank Chowdhury. What's his role in the book?
1: Well, you've hit it in one. He's the the trusty sidekick, and he's also a continuing potential love interest. Uh, And the question that goes through all of the books, and, I mean, this one double deal is a standalone, so you don't have to have read the previous ones to read this one. But a question that you always ask is, will they get together? And that creates a tension itself.
0: And of course, the other characters include a lot of uh, international political leaders uh, who bear a striking resemblance to some of the people we might know. Tushkin, the uh, uh, Russian president. Isabel Diaz, the US president. Ariel Casals, the uh, leader of the Catalan state. How did you come to weave those into the story?
1: Isabel Diaz is easy. Uh, when I wrote Born to Run 10 years ago, I wanted to write a story about the first US female president. And I decided, and of course, that was before Obama became the first black president. Uh, And I decided she was going to be not only female, but Hispanic. Uh, And just out of interest, her predecessor in that book 10 years ago was somebody called Joe Biden. So there was a little bit of prescience in all of that. So as well as a US president, I needed a Russian president and a Chinese president and a Greenland prime minister. Uh, And so I had to invent all of them because... Some of them were doing evil things. I couldn't use real people with real names. Uh, and so I did have uh, the Russian Tushkin, Greenland's Nivica Peterson and uh, China's uh, and tai
0: If we can move on now to the action of the book, uh, quite a lot of it is set in the streets of Barcelona. Can you set the scene for us in Double Deal? The book is about
1: a race between China, Russia and the US to control the Arctic because of global warming, freeing up shipping lanes, resources and so on. I needed a city where it was neutral territory for Greenland to negotiate with China. And when I started writing the story, I had just been to Barcelona. And I don't know if you've been there, but um, it's the most extraordinary city i had a love affair with it the moment i set foot there and i had the benefit of some unbelievably bubbling tour guides who just couldn't stop talking about the local history the culture the food taking me to places and so on so i just had to set the novel there and uh, the architecture of the place just blows you away. you've got the wild twisted impossible architecture by Anthony Gaudi and a very big feature of the book is his um, church, the Sagrada Familia, which is um, a kind of a mixture of sheer folly and utter genius when you're inside it. And
0: it's still unfinished.
1: It's still unfinished after 100 years and they say it won't be finished till 2026 but that was before COVID so who knows but it's the most extraordinary building to stand inside and feel the sun slanting in on you through these wonderful stained glass windows Um, it's not known by a lot of people but George Orwell fought with the Catalan Nationals against Franco in the 1930s and he wrote a book Homage to Catalonia which I read before I got to Barcelona, and in that book, and let me just quote this, he says, the Sagrada Familia is one of the most hideous buildings in the world. The anarchists showed bad taste in not blowing it up when they had the chance. Well, I beg to disagree, but my really, really bad people in the book um, might well try to do the same thing.
0: Well, George Orwell was a legendary pessimist, I suppose. <laughs> that's right,
1: that's right. Anyway, so the the book starts off uh, with Tori in room 420 in a hotel in Barcelona. Uh, She wakes up in the room, groggy, her mind blank, uh, her eyes glued shut, literally glued shut. Um, I had to consult two doctors before, eye doctors, before I wrote that to make sure that I did it in a way that didn't do her any harm. Because um, that's very important, uh, and and she sees two dead bodies hacked beside her on the bed. Uh, her mind remembers nothing. Um, was she drugged? Did she kill them in a stupor? Um, is she innocent but framed? And if so, by whom? And so, double deal is really her quest to reveal the truth um, about herself and about the events which is why kind of the, the front cover says, trust no one, not even yourself, because she doesn't know for quite a chunk of the book whether she in fact did it.
0: And a lot of the action in the book depends quite heavily on technology, things like yes. deep fakes, CCTV, hacking, VPNs, fake news, friends lens, a whole range of gadgets and ideas that uh, carry some of the action forward. And I noticed that uh, in your history, you are, well, currently, since 2017, uh, you've joined the board as non-executive director of the Cybersecurity Cooperative Research Centre. Has that helped you bring this whole technological extravaganza together?
1: Yes, uh, although it was probably my writing that led me to getting on the board um, in in a funny kind of way. I've always been seduced by technology Um, and uh, I've had an interest in cybersecurity for, I don't know, 10 or 15 years Uh, and that originally came from sitting on a few public company boards and reading about cybersecurity and worrying about, in fact, freaking out about the kinds of risks that we were all facing as Uh, things developed. So my earlier books, um, certainly the ones in the Tory Swift series, uh, focused a lot on technology. Uh, The Trusted was about cyber security. The Tower Deception had a lot of cyber security. And this one um, has a bit as well. When you're writing thrillers in the immediate future, like the Tomorrow That Just Hasn't Happened, And you're trying to stretch reality and stretch the truth. And you think about what technology can do. You let your mind run, not riot, but just a little bit beyond itself to imagining how bad things can get or how useful technology can be to bad people. It really fuels quite a lot of great storytelling. I've written a lot about cybersecurity in my novels, but I'd also written quite a bit in opinion pieces for newspapers and business periodicals about the risks for business from cybersecurity. And that's kind of how I ended up on the board of the Cybersecurity Research Centre, which is a terrific organisation funded largely by the Australian government to help create a cybersecurity industry in Australia and also to help keep Australia safe.
0: If we can backtrack just for a minute about the fuel that uh, that drives your writing, I was also thinking about the idea of things being believable, the premise being believable and having a ring of authenticity. So the premise of the book in Double Deal is the sale of Greenland to the Chinese or potential. And as a long-time businessman and non-executive director of the CSCRC, as we'll call it, Can some of these conspiracy theories be based on truth or can they become truth?
1: I think the answer is yes, absolutely they can. So in the case of this premise, uh, the purchase of Greenland, uh, I had already submitted the draft to my editor uh, when Donald Trump in 2019 Uh, announced that he was looking at buying Greenland. And there's a great quote from him, which I'll just read to you, which says, the United States owning Greenland would be nice. It's essentially a large real estate deal. Now, when that happened, I kind of freaked out. But it was also a bonus because when my editor read the first draft, she came back to me and said, this is ridiculous. This could never happen. And then when she read the second draft, said, oh, well, Trump's already said it, it is ridiculous, but it could happen. And then I pointed out and I point out in the book that the United States has actually tried to buy Greenland four times in history. The first time was in 1868, just a few months after they bought Alaska from the Russians. And that was really to, if you think about what was going on at that time in North America, What they wanted to do, and this sounds crazy now, they wanted to flank Canada between Alaska on one side, Greenland on the other, so as to induce Canada to leave the British Empire and join the Union. Then in, I think, 1914, they tried again. Uh, And then in 1947... After World War II, when the the US already had military bases in uh, Greenland, they wanted to use it so that they would look down on Russia. This was the Cold War now. And so then Donald Trump turning up in 2019 and doing it was really just the fourth attempt. So when I was researching all of this, I didn't have the benefit of the Trump foray but I did have the benefit of the others. So I thought, well, it's almost happened in the past. Why can't it happen in the future?
0: I suppose all I can say to that is truth really is stranger than fiction.
1: But as Mark Twain said, he did say truth is stranger than fiction, but he said,
0: but fiction has to make sense. (laughs) I want to finish with just what motivates you to write these thrillers and indeed international thrillers.
1: I have a fascination with the world and geopolitics and the things that kind of matter. And so I love crime writing and I'm a voracious reader of it. I love thrillers uh, and I wanted to really explore the the spy genre, the international intrigue genre uh, and pit countries against each other and so on. Uh, I just find it totally fascinating. You will often get me watching A Mission Impossible or any of those kind of things. I just love them to pieces. And when I decided to write the Tory Swift books, I was really trying to write books that I wanted to read.
0: If Tori Swift ever came to the small or large screen, is there an actor you might have in mind for playing her role or has she not appeared yet? Yes, I do, and it's Scarlett Johansson
1: uh, who I think in my mind and in my eye looks exactly how I envisage Tori, but with red hair and green eyes. And, in fact, if you go to Twitter, Tori Swift has a, uh, a Twitter handle and the image for her is a corrupted version of Scarlett Johansson. She doesn't tweet very much, though.
0: I'm sure Scarlett would be honoured. John M. Green, thank you so much for joining me on the Good Reading Podcast. Thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure, and I hope
1: all your readers enjoy reading during lockdowns and beyond, and I hope they
0: get a chance to look at Double Deal. I'm sure they will, and I'm sure that's what we're going to be doing for at least the next few weeks. I've been talking to John M. Green about his latest book, Double Deal. It's published by Pantera Press and is available at goodreadingmagazine.com.au. My name's Greg Dobbs, and thanks for listening. This Good Reading podcast was brought to you by Luxure Read. Why not spoil yourself or give the gift of a Luxure Read subscription today? Visit luxureread.com.au to find out how.